0: Friday I always love it when it's Friday. I don't know why. Still escapes. My descriptor. Good morning. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one eight hundred nine zero five zero nine eight nine. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is seven one three zero seven. Um I saw this the other day, and I was just wondering about it. Um, See, two years ago, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission proposed a rule that would force publicly traded companies to take climate change seriously by reporting on how climate change might materially affect their operation. Now, the first thing you can surmise from that is that when that happens— Somebody's going to have to be paid to take care of that, so that's an unpaid-for mandate. The mandatory reports were to include, among other things, what actions they are taking to fight climate change, to anticipate and mitigate its potential impacts, to report on their emissions, and the emissions created throughout their, their supply chain, and any efforts that were taking to reduce emissions. There is nothing in law that requires them to do this. This was a purely political action pushed by the commission's three Democrat appointees. So, as the Democrats do, when uh, a lot of investors got out there and the public and Congress all got out there and said, what is this? What is this? They decided to delay for the moment, formally imposing the rule. They did not rescind it. They just decided to delay. Now, during that delay, California which is the leader in all things regressive you know there's nothing that doesn't destroy jobs or cost consumers that they won't step in and uh, do and they pa- they stepped in and passed their own similar law. And as will be the case should the SEC finalize their rule, business and farm groups sued to block the law in part because it usurps the federal government's constitutional authority to regulate interstate commerce by applying to companies headquartered outside the state if they do business in California. Of course, that never stopped California. California has an idea that if you move out of California, they can continue to tax you for 10 years after you move out. So they, they think they are very far reaching. The lawsuit also argued the law violates their cost- constitutional right to free speech by pre- compelling them to take a position on the topic of climate change as a matter of fact you have to take the state's position on this now back to the SEC the SEC like everything in the federal government was created in the aftermath of an event in this case the 1929 stock market crash In order to protect investors from fraud and market manipulation, to maintain a fair and orderly market, and to facilitate capital formation. And their climate rule falls well outside of any statutory authority they have in the very first place. Now, the SEC assumes that climate change does or will soon materially affect the operations of most, if not all, of the publicly traded companies over which they have oversight. But that's a presumption that they make without any sort of evidence. And you can go look at climate realism or climate at a glance or climate change weekly. And there's no evidence that extreme weather events are becoming more frequent or severe not hurricanes or floods or droughts, wildfires, seas are rising, but no faster than their historic norms since the end of the last ice age. Even the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the infamous IPCC, says they can't detect with high confidence trends in extreme weather resulting from ongoing climate change, nor can it attribute this to me and you, to anything you and I do, with any sort of high confidence, that is. They can say it for the emotional impact, but they don't have a lot of confidence in what they're saying. They're just trying to get you to change your mind. They're trying to give you your opinion. Now, if data doesn't show climate change is making worse, ma- making the weather worse, if the IPCC can't find it, how can an individual company be expected to determine that at some point in the future, climate change is going to materially affect its operations? Under what metric, under what measurement, under what test would they get out there and say, well, it's going to do this? It's going to do this. Because... And, and this is the same this is the same thing i see in gun control on a regular basis i see this on gun control what they want to do out there with gun control is they want to take a uh, they want to take a manufacturer who builds a product that's legal and they want the company to be liable for everything that thing ever does in its lifetime even after they sell it and see first of all this goes to a distributor then it goes to a dealer then it goes to an end user so it's four layers away from the manufacturer by the time it ends up where it's going In much the same way, everything that is manufactured gets to the end user. It's manufactured, it gets to a distributor, it gets to a retailer, and then it gets to the end user. So here they are, they're out there applying the same logic and the same template that they do with everything. This is what they do with everything. It's one playbook that they apply to everything out there they're trying to regulate. Getting out there and trying to forecast what is going to happen with any product that you make unless you're just selling a pillow of air and i don't even know what the pillow would be made of it'd probably be made out of fossil fuel it'd be a very very heavy carbon footprint um doing that would completely negate anything you had going on having to do that would essentially stop research and development nobody it it would not be worth it Companies that are located in areas that are prone to wildfires or hurricanes, uh, you know, you would expect them to take actions to reduce the likelihood that what they do, what they build, will be impacted or compromised by these events. But that's true regardless of climate change, which is just, you know, it's just two words put together. It's not really a thing. It's a thing that happens. It's always happened. It's always happened. And these actions would have to be weighed against the cost that such action would have on the long-term profitability because nobody's in business to not be profitable. You might harden infrastructure and improve supply chains or even move the operation to states or areas in states less prone to the types of natural disasters. But the high cost of prior climate regulations are already driving companies to flee California. There is two Americas. There's Blue America, and there's free America. And that's the rub. That's the rub. The other thing is that you have to, that whole reasonably thing, how do you anticipate that? What, name one company out there today that can tell you what's going to happen in 30, 50, or 100 years from now. If a company reported in its public documents and to the SEC that it did not expect climate change to affect its operations, uh, primarily because they really had no way of anticipating the types of weather events that might happen that would be honest but that's not going to that's not going to satisfy the SEC climate mandarins the rule would do nothing to prevent climate change because no single company or industry substantially impacts global warming what it would do is it would drive the price of their product through the roof which this is just another way of doing the whole climate credit thing. This is what Obama and Valerie Jarrett tried to do with the Chicago Climate Exchange so many years ago. And uh, and those kind of things, we looked at it, we saw it. I mean, at the time, they even picked out a bank, and they were figuring they were going to talk about, uh, they were looking at $22 trillion worth of revenue per year. And this is where you'd be buying the rights to pollute. You aren't going to pollute any less. You are just going to be buying the rights to pollute. Offset credit. And uh, having said that, well, that didn't ever take off anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. So now we have the SEC trying to do this. And they have no authority over private companies or individual bu- individual businesses. And they can't require them to be concerned about climate change. All they can do is get out there and look at the publicly traded companies and the way they're actually executing what they're doing as far as their public trading. Um, It goes nowhere. Washington concludes the, uh, uh, the rule places the SEC at legal risk with the judiciary. And it not only stands in defiance of Congress, it also ignores established judicial precedent by redefining the interpretation of materiality in corporate disclosure so they should leave they should in short they should just leave that to itself and stay in their lane that's just the way it is when we get back i'm going to take you back to a time 1965 april 3rd 1965 you tell me if it sounds like today this is news talk 98 9 w o r d April 3rd, 1965. Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 905 The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. We are streaming live on Facebook and on Twitter today, if that's your cup of tea. On April 3rd, 1965, the great Paul Harvey did a monologue and everything paul harvey paul harvey was a storyteller april 3rd 1965 i was 13 days shy of my fourth birthday so i don't remember this you know never heard it live but when you think about the way you look at the united states today and this is the thing back in those days you know we still went we still still wore our sunday best when we went to church Things were closed on Sunday. There was only three TV networks. We didn't, the phone was something that was attached to the wall, attached with a cable. We didn't have everything that we have today that we take for granted. And yet, while it was simpler, and while we look at that as the good old days, there was something already in the air that Paul Harvey noticed. So he did this, he did this monologue that he titled, if I Were the Devil. Now, I could play it, but I, I, I think I'd be in sort of a gray area. So rather than do that, I'm just going to... And I hardly recommend you go look it up. Go look it up on YouTube, If I Were the Devil. You know, Paul Harvey, I Was the Devil. But verbatim, this is from Paul Harvey's uh, radio show, April 3rd, 1965. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I seized the ripest apple on the tree. Thee. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's good bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, Our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could sell. I would sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of hired ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but to neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon, I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg, and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I would take from those who have and give to those who want until I had killed the incentive of the the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes and hard works and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on the TV is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. History predicates the future. Those of you who don't really believe that, I'm I'm not going to say Paul Harvey good day because I'm never going to be confused with Paul Harvey. (laughs) That guy was a giant. But um, If you don't believe that history predicates the future, then... uh, the, the biggest issue that we seem to have is that each generation that succeeds the last one has to learn all the lessons the one before it learned. And for some reason, it's just not passed on anymore. We don't pass on experiences anymore. Or they're ignored. They're ignored. And uh, it's interesting. That's uh, That's right at 59 years old. That's a 59-year-old monologue, and it's as true today as it was 59 years ago. So this slow simmer that we've been moving through all of this time without being aware of it, that's the problem. This is why we wake up and we're like, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's how, because that slow simmer while we were in the pot boiling. We didn't know we were boiling. We just thought it was a hot tub. We were just luxurating. And it was never luxury. There's nothing unexciting or unsexy about being competent and dependable and, and morally righteous. As a matter of fact, everybody I, the most dangerous people I know on the planet are very morally righteous people that you don't want to cross. They may comport themselves on a daily basis as maybe just too ordinary, but they are capable of such extraordinary things, which all of you are. But when you get out there, you know, I, I, I've always said it all began with MTV. When we started seeing MTV and every, you know, all the kids, the 80s kids, they were looking at that. That's They, they started emulating that. But that's always been the case. It's just that, when we went from, uh, with all of the choices we have to make now, some of them are just not good ones now, are they? But just a, just a ghost from the past saying something that is completely valid today. Coming up next, it's going to be Michael Letts from InvestUSA.org. We're going to talk about these, uh, these immigrants that beat up the NYPD officers and what this means. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. The, the whole thing with the New York police that got beat up by the illegal immigrants there, for some reason that has got me sort of frosted. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1 800 9050989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Joining me now to discuss that particular frostiness is uh, from investusa.org is law enforcement veteran Michael Letts. Good morning, sir.
1: Oh, good morning. It's always a privilege to be with you, Bill. And uh, I think it's got the whole country frosted as you were, I'll take from you, as you used.
0: Uh, so, it's
1: quite an event.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw Tom Homan put out a quote the other day saying, "Enjoy this while you can, boys, because the biggest deportation operation you've ever seen is coming."
1: Hey, well, that is a very true statement. Yeah. So what? Especially when we change the administration.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, do you think this is going to be uh, this is this going to be echoes of Eisenhower coming
1: up? Oh, there's no well, Eisenhower's going to be a walking apart park. What we have planned. Uh, put it this way, we we have literally the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Mike did his State of the House address yesterday. And this is what we know. 1.7 million illegal immigrants in this country last year. Now, remember, that's that's not including those that are um, getaways that got across that we didn't count, didn't see, you're really talking about, in just the Biden administration alone, the last three years, over seven million. Do you realize how many states in this country don't even have seven million people living in? South Carolina doesn't have seven million people in it. So you've got, in during this administration, more illegal immigrants coming in than many many states have as citizens. That's crazy, isn't it? Understand that in his speech, that he's giving figures that, he that he's aware of. I'm aware of different figures. Mine are much uh, more accurate, I think. But he's aware of at least 700 that were on the terrorist watch list last year alone. Now, if you take the lower figures, you take just his. Multiply that by three, that's 2,100 terrorists that are getting into this country, that we know of. Uh, the arguments that he mentioned... And just the amount of effort that has come by the illegal immigrants and their total disregard and disrespect for America, for its citizens, and for its people is literally mind-boggling. And as Mike said in his State of the House address, you know, for the president to sit there and say that he would do something if he had the tools, he's got more tools now. And Donald Trump had when he was president. Donald Trump was able to turn the faucet off. He doesn't know where the bathroom is at to be able to figure out the same methods. He has executive (laughs) order privilege. The man literally is showing his stupidity to the country and trying to be able to say that he's doing everything he can, but it's because the Republicans won't cooperate with him that they can't figure out what to do.
0: Um, how much? How much money have? Uh, how much money did Trump need for the border wall? Wasn't it like five billion dollars or something like that? Correct.
2: And but how much have we? Actually. How much
0: have we given to the Ukraine? <laughs>
1: well, it's hard to keep track because it changes every day. Hundreds of billions of dollars. Hundreds.
0: And how much did we leave for the Taliban? How much material? Was it
1: eighty-six billion? Eighty-three billion.
0: Eighty-three
1: billion dollars. Yeah, eighty-three billion dollars. No Military. And here's what's so frustrating with that. Do you think Taliban and the Afghans have 83 billion of arm, of our stuff in storage? I don't know. They wouldn't have gone around and sold it to every every terrorist and, and rogue state in the in, in the globe. That's what they're doing with it.
0: They they making a killing off of it. You could buy those retina scanners that uh, they used to use over there. They they put those on eBay.
1: Yeah, they, they literally, right between Iran uh, and other of its allies, they are buying and selling that stuff to terrorist groups and to grow governments all across the world. So our own equipment is going to be used against us. That was a great play, Mr. President, great play.
0: <laughs> so um, this is what I've said. You tell me what you think about this. In order for us to re- reform the immigration process, the legal immigration process, what we have to do is we've got to round up all the illegal immigrants, them all the way down the peninsula to the southern border of Mexico, wall off the United States, and then take up legislation to uh, not the other. Normally, I, I think with Reagan, if I'm not mistaken, when they had that little amnesty when Reagan was there, uh, right. which a million used to get in fraudulently. Uh, the, the the deal was amnesty for border security. And yeah. they got the amnesty and they never secured the border. Correct. So, I mean, that's correct. actually by law. We're breaking the law right now by not having a secure border, right?
1: But um, so You've been breaking the law for some time. You are yeah. correct.
0: So uh, that would be the way you you think that's something that Trump will pursue it in that in that order.
1: Well, I can tell you what will happen the uh, minute he is sworn in, the minute he takes the oath, because I'm not so sure we're going to be able to get to 22 November. The minute he takes the oath of office, we will immediately proceed within days of securing the wall. When I'm talking about days, we will put down all resources, military resources. Uh, you know, it's funny, it's going to cost the taxpayers more. Remember, we had all the material purchased. Biden sold it for pennies on the dollar. Right. We'll have to repurchase it, and it will be installed within days. That border will be locked down, not just Texas, but the border will be locked down, period, all from, from California all the way across. So we'll concentrate on the northern border a little later. That'll be the first thing. At the same time that that is going on, operations will immediately move into play, and the military will be involved. To uh, secure every illegal immigrant, you say, aren't you being a little uh, overly dramatic? Well, let me tell you, you answer the question. If we have no idea who they are or what their intent is, how can we not get them all to make sure that we have all the terrorists and all the criminal elements that we know? Nobody is going to argue that they should say in this country. So we've got to round up everybody. And get to vet everybody to determine what we are dealing with and to deal with. And those yeah. that are terrorists and criminals need to immediately not be just shipped back. They need to be shipped back in shackles um, and put back in their prison cells there. And uh, the terrorists need to be not just set free when they go to their country, but probably we need to hold those and put them in a place where uh, no we've got yeah, we got some good holes around this country. Yeah. Yeah. But they can stay for a long time because Yeah. They three
0: three th- three hots and a cot. We could give them that,
1: huh? <laughs> well we'll talk about whether that's necessary or not oh, okay. okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so uh okay, I, I and
0: and here's the thing, I don't uh I don't doubt for one second we can do something uh we can do something about this and reverse this trend, but that's not what the Democrats have in mind. So this is so there's, not- there's going to be there, this is also going to be a psychologically uh, it, this is going to mess them up a little bit when all this starts. It's going to be quite quite interesting. I'm going to try to collect some of their tears and lubricate my AR.
1: <laughs> well, you know, there'll be plenty of it to do that because you see, here's the other we just talked about. There's a couple other uh, actions that we'll be taking. Is not only are we going to wall the borders and secure the borders. Well, military personnel are going to be assigned to do what the Constitution says. Defend and protect the American people. When well, you yeah. are bringing drugs across that are aimed at killing our, our young people, we got to stop that. That's part yeah. of our job.
0: That's, that's part of the defense. So they're going
1: to see action being done on a lot of fronts that they've never seen before. But as soon as they get uh, their eyes, their tears removed from their eyes, they'll realize they're living in a much better place than they ever thought imaginable.
0: There you go. Michael, thanks very much for joining me. Find Michael at InvestUSA.org. He's a writer for American Thinker. I'll be talking to you, sir.
1: God bless. Take care. Thank you,
0: Bill. Yes, sir. Coming up next, Anna Presley. She got out there. She had something to say about Walgreens. Stupidest stuff I've ever heard in my life. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. There's nothing I like better than the virtue signal from the left. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Streaming live on the WORD Facebook page and the X page if that's your cup of tea. Now, one thing the left never ever will admit to you is that businesses don't care what color you are. Because they're only interested in one color, and that's green. Businesses are in the business of making money. So whenever they have to shut down a business, that's a blow to their bottom line. And you shut down a business when it stops being profitable, when the green ceases to be what's being made there. And in a lot of these blue areas, these blue hellscapes, that has become a thing where it's becoming more and more common. Uh, Iana Presley, a member of the squad, she's uh, she's jumping in on the Boston Walgreens closures that uh, took place over the last year, and she decided to pull out the race card and slam it on the table. She said, these closures are not arbitrary or innocent. They're disruptive, life-threatening acts of racial and economic discrimination. As a multi-billion dollar corporation, they must stop divesting from black and brown communities. Walgreens doesn't want to close their stores, you dimwit. This is why. How is it that a mental midget gets elected to Congress and makes one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year? How is that possible? So, Walgreens closes because they're getting robbed blind. And now, it does impact the law-abiding people that are there, the old, elderly people, the people on the fixed incomes, all those things that are, were, you know. Going to those locations that close, it does hit them in a negative way. However, these are private businesses. They're owned by the companies that are running them, that have their name up on them. And they can and will close them whenever they see fit. And they never close them unless it is fit to do so. Now, all of these closures are happening in high crime parts of Beantown. Retail theft is rampant. And these, uh, they can, you know, they can lock everything up behind a glass door. They can limit aisles that are available for shopping or they can shut down altogether. And I, I mean, I've gone to a store where everything is behind glass and they never have enough people there for you to be able to just, you know, like if you need a tube of toothpaste, you know, I got to wait on somebody to come and unlock the case for me to get my tube of toothpaste. I'll just go shop somewhere else where it's not behind glass. Now. If the residents of these areas, because I presume that they're not, you know, taking an Uber to get there from somewhere far away, if they didn't rob these places blind, the locations would not close. And all of this unchecked crime is in due is due in part to uh, policies put put forth by the squad and other Democrats at the city and state levels, and in Massachusetts like Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey. Because they've said the same thing about these closures. Now, uh, somebody on Twitter got out there. And it was interesting what she had to say. Nope, I spent eight years as a loss prevention supervisor for many Walgreens stores. You don't get to blame it on race. If the store was closed, it's quite simply because whoever lived in the area stole too damn much merchandise. Let's, let us me pop that back up there. Just It was there, then it was gone. Let's go to JR in Westminster. Yes, sir. How's it going, sir?
2: Bill, I'm telling you, I'm doing better than I deserve, my friend. Yes, sir. You're always on the the money. So I need to uh, change your name to Dollar Bill because you're on the (laughs) money. Uh, Yeah, man, that's it. That's your name. We're going to get T-shirts. Look at here. If you go back 100 years, uh, Booker T. Washington made a very poignant statement, and he talked about there was a certain class specifically of, at that time, Uh, It was Negro, so we're talking, you know, early 20th century. And he talked about the race hustlers and the fact that it was these people's job to always keep racial disparity, even if it didn't exist, uh, at the forefront. Because that's how they made their money, and that's how they looked important, like they were championing a cause in the eyes of people. So the Ayanna Pressley's uh, and the Ilhan Omar's and the AOC's um, and all of these individuals and the Al Sharpton's and, and all of these hustlers, the bottom line is everything, and the left uses it, everything is going to be about race. And whether it's, you know, and in most instances, 99% of the instances it, it has absolutely nothing to do with it, no. and so you know it, it, it's it's only fiscally uh, make makes sense that you can't run a business and you know you have l- it just running in the in the red with loss. Uh, so the bottom line is, and, and and the people that suffer, you know, are, are good people. Yeah. But uh, the bottom, you know, yeah. So yeah, they, they, But but who votes? You talk about these mental midgets like ion oppression. <laughs> Who votes them in? Unfortunately, I can say. And I am the most conservative black voice you'll talk to. It's these stupid people yeah. that keep voting them in. And so yeah. the bottom line is, you know, you want to get them out, then you know, fire the them, man, they, but
0: fire them, fire
2: them, fire them, fire. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm running out of bit, I'm running out of time here, my man. Listen, feel free to call anytime and have a good weekend yeah has nothing to do with race. We America is post-racial today, whether you, whether anybody wants to admit that or not. But that's that's all beside the point. Going to be joined by John Deverdi. He is a f- former special operations command sergeant major. We're going to talk about what kind of mire the Ukraine
1: is. This is News Talk 989WORD the Voice of the Carolinas.